So we are, as Ben said, in a series called Radical Jesus, where we are, we're asking ourselves the question, how do we follow Jesus in the midst of controversial topics when our world seems to push us to the extremes? Uh, our, our world seems to want us to, to draw um, uh, divided lines and push us to the, the extremes of those camps. And how do we come together and how do we follow Jesus, especially when people that we love and, and who love Jesus disagree with us? Uh, we feel like conversation and um, to some degree, even kind of critical thinking skills, like uh, working our way through the misinformation of our day, those things are sort of a lost art that we need to actually recover. And if the church doesn't do it, if the church doesn't lead in this area, then who can we expect to follow? We should be the church. We should have God's spirit, the spirit of truth, leading us and guiding us through these different areas. And so we are introducing during this series some grounding practices to help us realize we don't have to do this on our own, and we're probably not the first people to have to deal with some of these issues or, or some of the, the, the different categories of topics. And so at, at the end of our, our time today, we're going to be doing the Lord's Supper together, reciting the, the Apostles' Creed together. And so what we're doing at the beginning of each message is actually reciting a portion of Scripture together. And so if you can... Um, put Isaiah 40 verse 8 up there, we think this is a grounding practice to help us remember that no matter what people are thinking or feeling or saying in our culture today, we know God's truth will endure. And as we're tethered, like Ben said, as we're tethered to God's truth and to the truth of the gospel, we can stand firm. So let's say this together out loud, okay? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So that's what we want. We want to, to, to be tethered to the word of God and to his truth. So, and especially today, because we are talking about vaccines. And so, I hope you've been praying for me all week, because when we divvied up the, uh, when we divvied up the, the, the topics, I thought it was vacations. I was like, I'll, pre- I'll preach all day long on vacations. And then... <laughs> That's, that's not true, but I wish it was. So I'll tell you all about Puerto Rico. So the question that, that many of us uh, either ask ourselves or are asked by others or the conversation seems to, um, to just circle around is, should we be vaccinated? Should we specifically, during this coronavirus pandemic, should we take the vaccine? And so I think there are, there are a number of ways to answer this question depending on where you fall. And so just know that we have people along all different viewpoints on this specific issue. If you're on social media, you can actually see the different viewpoints come out there. And it's a funny story, actually, not funny, but just like, hmm, interesting, um, really. Uh, yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, they published an article about Mark Zuckerberg and, and Facebook and how in mid, mid-March, Zuckerberg wanted to use Facebook to boost certain posts so that we could see 50 million additional people get vaccinated. And, and since that time, what has actually happened is that as Facebook has boosted those posts, uh, the, uh, many of those threads have been hijacked and taken over by, by people opposed to the vaccine and, and kind of devolved into the mudslinging that we're sometimes used to on social media and Facebook in general. So it's sort of this two steps forward, one step back. You know, Facebook uses its algorithm, uses its tools, uses its 
financial capital and resources, and then it devolves and actually talks more people out of getting vaccinated. And it, doesn't that just kind of feel like our world where like we have good intentions, but it just kind of like devolves into this like, oh, I just have to walk away and mute and block and, and all this stuff and maybe delete my account altogether. It just feels like that sometimes. That is, that's the cultural dynamic we find ourselves in the midst of where even some of us are just trying to figure out what is truth. Because there's even speculation that some of those hijacked uh, Facebook algorithm boosted posts weren't even necessarily Americans having a conversation. It was like bots and Russians and who knows, you know, I, I sound like I need a tinfoil hat, don't I? But that's just the truth of it. It's like, who is actually speaking? Who has authority? Who can I trust, right? So should we be vaccinated? It depends. It depends. And instead of there being this like nice and tidy category of yes or no, I find that when I talk to people and, and, and I'm, I'm you know, researching and studying and things like that, there's actually a spectrum. There's actually a continuum of opinions on this. So I just actually want to walk through and as generously and as charitably represent the different sides to this conversation. Okay, can we do that? So actually I have a graphic if you want to put that up there that starting with those who are uh, vaccine advocates, they would consider themselves pro-vaccine, pro-vaccination. Specifically today, what we're talking about is pro-COVID vaccination, okay? Who, these, th- this group sees it as their duty to protect themselves and others against the spread of the coronavirus. They see the medical community as heroes and science as a gift to understand immunity and viruses so we can be healthy and protected from disease. In fact, in 2020, we all know this, in 2020, governments, corporations, and researchers set aside their egos and profit margins to collaborate and accomplish an unheard of breakthrough with the COVID vaccination. So taking the vaccine is, from this perspective, taking the vaccine is the best way to benefit from their hard work and honor the lives that have been lost. Speaking of which, one, Pew just put out this research, one in 500 Americans has died from COVID or related complications. So those from this perspective feel the urgency to stop the spread of COVID. And we could say that there is a value here for vaccine advocates for safety. They value safety. Now, I know there's a lot of nuance and a lot of like viewpoints that I actually can't hit on in each of these areas because I have 30 minutes to move you towards Jesus. So, so you know, that's where we're going to have to just stop. We know there's the what about and the, oh, you forgot. Yes, I know. The email you need to email if you agree or disagree is ben at tallgrass.church. Okay. Let us know. We have, we have, okay. On the other hand, on the other, what we might call extreme or on the other end of the continuum of this spectrum are those who are opposed to vaccines. And there are the so-called anti-vaxxers. That, that's a label that's kind of a pejorative, but also embraced as kind of this rebellious, you're not gonna tell me what to do with my body sort of thing, who are universally opposed to all vaccines. We're gonna specifically talk about those who are generally opposed to the coronavirus vaccine, those who are opposed to the vaccine. In this camp, there are those who see the virus as largely non-threatening, especially to young people and people in good health. Those opposed to the COVID vaccine are also concerned about shifting scientific research over time and concerns about the speed of vaccine development 
and also its origins, and that it's been tested on fetal cell lines. Studies uh, are showing that 3.2 million Protestant Christians are committed to remaining unvaccinated. So that's a, that's a large swath of Protestant Christianity in America. I think that's like 47% fall between in the middle to, to strongly oppose and will never get it. Um, lastly, and, and, and the, largely because of religious reasons, um, lastly, Republicans are the most staunchly opposed to vaccinations, pointing to governmental overreach with potential vaccine mandates. We could say that a value for those opposed to the vaccine is freedom. This is a free country. I can do what I want with, with myself and my body, and the government is not going to tell me to get a vaccination. So, a third position is those who we would call vaccine hesitant. They don't fall at either extreme. Uh, there's some openness, but, but not, some, not decisiveness really when it comes to the vac- vaccination. They see the merits of vaccination, but maybe like those opposed to vaccinations put off by mandates or the speediness of the vaccine's development. We also find those who are uncomfortable with the governmental overreach and a general suspicion of authority mandating something for everyone, a one-size-fits-all approach. This also includes those who have had COVID and see little need to receive a vaccine to boost immunity. And we could say that the vaccine hesitant are caught in the tension between safety and freedom. They want themselves and they want others to be safe, but they want themselves and others to experience the freedom of being a United States citizen. So now when we ask, ask, should we all be vaccinated? The thing we have to pay attention to in the framing of this question is when we say, should we, we immediately move it into a moral category of right and wrong, good and bad. And so if that's the framing we're using, we can see how people become very defensive or very like really amped up and and both sides tend to dig in and prove each other right or wrong, disagree, arguments blow up. We know that we've got Thanksgiving coming up, so just, you know, this, this might be one of those topics. I want us to understand, when we enter into the debate, when the, the first would is should, that immediately draws boundary lines, okay? And do we have to accept that framing? Do we have to ask ourselves, should we, or maybe is there a better way to ask this question pertaining to loving people and whether or not we're vaccinated, okay? So I would suggest that this is a false dilemma fallacy where it's either yes or no, there's there's two sides to this. I I would say that's a false dilemma and there's actually more of a conversation that can be had, especially for those of us who follow in the way of Jesus. So what if there's that better way to frame the debate and so, and, and, and by which we can actually uh, cling to, the, to God's eternal word and we can cling to the gospel and in the midst of the, the, whatever framing that we use, point people more to Jesus. So Jesus, being a rabbi and a teacher of his day, was often asked these, these kinds of questions pertaining to the law. People wanted to know, since you're a teacher of the law, help settle these debates for us We're actually really interested in knowing from God's perspective, you're a supposed mouthpiece of God, you speak for God, you represent God, so what does God think? And and there were all kinds of of factions and categories of people that thought different things in Jesus' age, so he's, he's not unaware of the way that humans like to frame things in this false dilemma fallacy. And yet, when we look at the life of Jesus, he absolutely blew up the categories. 
He entered in to, to, to our human dilemma, but would absolutely not surrender to a false framing. He actually brought his own framing to settle these debates and often leave people open-mouthed as, as the wisdom of God just poured through, uh, forth through him. So in Matthew 22, uh, we see Jesus interacting with some different factions. So we have some political power, we have economic power, we have religious power, all represented by these different questions that he's been asking. And they ask him a string of questions, basically settle the debate. They're trying to trap him, they're trying to get him on their side, they're trying to, to, to shut up the other side. And Jesus often threads the, the needle very acutely and makes his way through this because he won't, he won't uh, 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 surrender to these false dilemma fallacies. So we see this in Matthew 22, verse 16. And I'm reading from the NIV uh, for these next three questions. Teacher, they said, these are, these are the Herodians. This is the, 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 the political power. They were aligned with the uh, oppressive Roman army that was occupying them. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Y'all, you, some of us just need to have this like written on a post-it card or, or set as a reminder at like five o'clock every day. Like people on the internet sometimes are just trying to trap us to have a debate, right? Jesus was able to discern the heart, the heart behind the question. The, the, he, he didn't take it at face value. He knew that there were things underneath and underlying the questions he was being asked and he straight just called it out. Now, I'm not saying you necessarily have to call everybody out on the internet. Maybe take a break from the internet if you really need to. But just know there are people that just, we call them trolls, right? They just love a good debate. And that's all they want is they're just trying to rile you up. Some people on news media do the same exact thing. I'll, I'll be candid about that. Like, I watched news media this week, so you don't have to, pertaining to vaccines, right? And so sometimes they're just there to yell at each other. And, and, and maybe that's not a good framing of the debate is the loudest one wins, right? Some of us, that touches actually on our family of origin where the loudest one wins. That's a whole nother topic for another time. So they in this passage are the Herodians. Jesus knows, like, like just check out how they start talking to him. Teacher, hey, we know you're a man of integrity. We know you teach the way of God. We know it's in accordance with the truth. They're, they're, they're trying to butter him up and get them ready, and get them on their side. This is the, you ever have somebody give you the, I call it the crap sandwich of like the flattery, the hard truth, and then more flattery at the end, right? And that we're like taught, that's the way people like to hear truth. No, just like, get to the point, man. Like, just tell me what's on your heart. So Jesus cuts right through the crap sandwich and gets right to, why are you trying to trap me with this false choice dilemma uh, fallacy? So Jesus calls it out, and instead of playing the, their game, he, he, tra- he calls them on the trap, and he, and he does this thing where he actually has them take out the coin, and we get this famous, like, just this brilliant phrase, who's on the coin? Well, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, and render to God that which is God's, because they didn't want to pay taxes, but they wanted to trap Jesus, like he, he's telling us not, to not obey the Roman law, right? So he cuts right through it. Uh, and there are, there are arguments that we need to cut right through this when they're, when they're presented to us to ask 
The Holy Spirit, what is the question behind the question? What is the thing that we're trying to get trapped at? What is it that it's trying to elicit a response in my heart? So secondly, a a group right after this approached Jesus and wanted him to make a claim about the contentiousness of divorce. This is one of the top eight issues that Jesus' culture that, that, that were trying to follow the law disagreed on. And they wanted to pull from him a once and for all definitive statement on divorce. And so the same day, the Sadducees, and they were kind of the materialists of the day. They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in angels or in miracles. So right from the get-go, they're setting him up with this story. The Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Uh, and and they, they kind of set him up like there's a, there's a woman involved who's, whose husband dies, and they, she doesn't have kids, so she has to marry through the Levitical law, the next six brothers in line, and they all die. It's this ridiculously like over-the-top story. And so they ask him, now then at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven since all of them were married to her? And Jesus replies, you're in error because you don't know the scripture or the power of God. You're in error. You're framing this debate wrongly because you don't know the power of God and you don't know the word of God like you think you do. Now, that's quite insulting because these men at this time would have had, had gone at some point to, to school to learn the Torah, uh, to, to study the law, to memorize it. They knew it from front to back as, as, as much as you knew the, the back of your hand. They, they knew that literally. And Jesus pokes back at them and says, you don't know the word of God at all. And not only that, you don't know the power of God, what God is able to actually do. And it's kind of a ridiculous story because Jesus, you you sense he's pushing back because the woman's being used in this story is kind of like a, a possession. Like these men all owned her, so who's the owner in the resurrection? And Jesus is like, man, you are so off on human dignity. Like you don't even know how off you are that this is a person you're using to illustrate and make a point and you're totally blowing it here. And so the final question gets to the question of all questions that they approach Jesus and want to know from him. Jesus, what is the, what is the, the biggest, best thing that we can do to follow God? Teacher, what's the greatest, this is verse 36, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, and the, the person asking him is a lawyer. This is a person, again, who has studied in the law, has memorized the law. Basically, the, the first part of our Old Testament, the first five books, has them memorized, down cold, knows them front to back, and asks Jesus, what's the one thing? Give me a bullet point to be able to know how to follow and love God. What should I do? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus, you sense this humility in this lawyer that the first two groups had actually not had. He he probably was sent like as a representative of a group, but there's this this actual like hunger to know. uh, Teacher, teach me. I really want to know how to follow God. And Jesus responds with something called the Shema. The Shema was, uh, was something from Deuteronomy that all faithful Jews res- uh, recited twice a day. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so they knew this. They memorized it. They recited it regularly. And Jesus said, you're doing it, but you also need this additional command to, to really encapsulate the law and the prophets. And that's to love your neighbor as yourself. 
So basically, Jesus is elevating this Levitical command to love neighbor as equal to God and, and saying, in essence, to love God is to love your neighbor. Your love for God should always overflow to action. Uh, the word here that's translated from the Greek, the original Greek word is agape. You, you all know this word if you grew up in church. If you didn't, you get to learn a little Greek today. It's agape. It's perfect, self-giving, sacrificial love. It's not a fleeting feeling. It's not a, it's not a good emotion. Uh, we, we appreciate all those emotions connected to love. We want that to be associated with love. But this kind of love is love that doesn't need the feeling to motivate it. Love that gives when it's painful. Love that gives when it's convenient, even to strangers, to people not of a part of my family or my church or my friend group. Agape love is sacrificial love. It's, this, it's the love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross, that self-giving, self-emptying, all-for-the-other love. And so he continues uh, to, 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 as he connects these two things because he wants, to, he wants these guys to, to understand love isn't just about saying we love God in the abstract. Love is an action. Love is a sacrifice. And so we're familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. If you went to some weddings this summer, uh, they were probably awesome because we didn't get to do a lot of that last summer, but you heard probably 1 Corinthians 13 recited several times. And, and I want to go through it because I want to remind us, this isn't just a wedding verse. This isn't a wedding paragraph. This is, this is neighbor love, love for the other. This isn't just covenantal love between a husband and a wife. This is self-giving, like, like God-inspired and motivated love for the other, even the stranger that we don't know as well. And so I'm going to read it in, in, a, in the message translation. Sometimes I, I love to read Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the scripture because it's, it gets it fresh in my mind and I kind of get it in everyday you know, American language. This is 1 Corinthians. This is Paul writing 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3 through 8, summarizing loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. He says this, No matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. That is loving God as we love our neighbor as ourself. So if we have established that that is the greatest law, the law of love is the summation of the entire Bible, and we could actually go as far as to say, one commentator said, we actually wouldn't need any laws in our land if everyone loved perfectly. That's the point of the law of love, is that if we all did this, we wouldn't need speed limits, we wouldn't need voting laws, we wouldn't need any of the things on the book that keep us tethered to each other and treating each other right, because God has established a higher law that he wants us to follow in the way of. And that's loving others as we love ourselves, as the expression of agape, God-centered love. So if we can establish that the law of love should be the law in the land and, should, and is written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit, then we can ask, then how 
do we love our neighbor as ourselves? If the greatest law is to love our neighbor as ourselves, how do we love our neighbor as ourselves? So I want to, and, and really in the context today of vaccines, and so I want to suggest three things that we can do together to demonstrate love to each other in light of how God has loved us first. I want to suggest first that we lead with empathy in our dealings with those that we disagree with. What we can say is the opposite of neighbor love that takes action is what we say, see today when the others are harmed by their decisions. The German word for this is schadenfreude. So you learned some Greek and some German today. Everybody say schadenfreude. Okay, that means gleeful delight in the pain of others. It seems ridiculous when set in contrast to agape love, doesn't it? But this, this happens all the time. When someone gets sick from coronavirus, when they have so, so been so staunchly opposed to the, the vaccine, and there's a gleeful delight that someone now is sick, they're getting their just rewards, is what we might say. You know, karma sucks. Life is a, well, I won't continue on, but you know, all those things, that's schadenfreude where we see that and say, you know, uh, I'm not happy about it, but I'm not sad either. That's schadenfreude. And it's the exact opposite of agape, self-giving love. We should grieve when people are sick. We should grieve, God forbid, when they die. We should grieve because they're image bearers. Even if they made a decision that we disagree with, we should lead with empathy. And empathy is about listening and learning what it's like to, to, to walk in someone else's shoes. I, I would imagine, um, I doubt that graph, that, that graphic where, where there's the spectrum that we put up earlier, I doubt you learned a whole lot of new information, but there's probably a, a part of all of us that go, oh, I see that in, in, in maybe a, a, a category that you disagree with, understanding each other understanding where we're coming from, each other's lived experiences, help us have this kind of empathy where we can demonstrate agape love even when there's disagreement there, okay? Um, Second, we should listen to trusted voices on matters that are above our knowledge base. I am not a medical professional. I have an opinion on vaccines. I have an opinion on masks and coronavirus. I am not a medical professional. I'm a pastor, I want to stay in my lane, and I want to appeal to authority as I find it credible, okay? And I think, I think we all should, should, uh, should do that, right? I think there, there are trusted medical, uh, scientific researchers' opinions, um, and, 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 and there's, there's uh, opinions that disagree with each other. I think that's okay as we sift through and try and grab a hold of what's truthful and wise, Okay, but perhaps not the best place to get our information is from talking heads on cable news that actually just pit each other, people against each other, and the loudest person wins. Perhaps that's not a credible source. Just perhaps. Perhaps your cousin's friend is not a credible source when they're using livestock medication. Okay, perhaps. Uh oh, did I step on a landmine? That was that was supposed to be a joke, and I heard a groan. Okay. <laughs> I love you and Jesus loves you, okay? Um, okay, perhaps, perhaps we need to slow down and listen more and maybe hold more things open-handed. And, and we live in an age, I mentioned it earlier, of disinformation. That there's a lot of stuff coming at us from, from sources that we're not quite sure of. 
uh, that, that seem to contradict trustworthy sources, we, we have to engage our critical thinking skills. And we have to, to, to be a lot more open-handed on things that we're unsure of, and it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know, but here's the best to my ability to discern. We, for instance, the, the masking policy that we put in place, it's not perfect. To have kids masked up when they go up the stairs, but they can come down and take it off, like, we know that that's silly, and a lot of, like, we, we just kind of know, like, sorry, uh, it's not silly, it's just, it's, it's incomplete, you know what I mean? It doesn't make sense, and it's incongruous, but that's the best way we know how to steward freedom and safety in a local church setting. And we know there may be additional uh, decisions that we have to make as we get more information, because we know information has shifted over time, and that's what happens when there's good research and good debate is that we get more information and we change our minds and we open our minds up to to include more information that we didn't have beforehand. This is a part of the process of discernment and looking for wisdom in the midst of it. Okay, I want to circle back to the livestock dewormer and make sure we're really friends before I move on. Okay, we're good? Okay, okay, okay. Most of you are friends with me still, okay. Um, So, the Finally, it's good to look to those who have come before us, okay? It's good to look at church history and discern how people in the church that have gone before us for thousands of years when issues similar to ours have come up. It's good to be reminded, and that's why we're doing some of these grounding practices that remind us we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can actually take in different opinions and authoritative voices when it comes to discerning true from false, wisdom from folly, and and so on. Because the church has gone through different plagues and and disease outbreaks before. And we want to make sure we're formed by the Spirit of God and looking for those points in church history rather than formed by our culture and the divisiveness and the debating that goes on, right? And so, the early church... Actually, the church was birthed in context to a plague where Christians were known for taking care of plague victims to their own sacrifice. Um, they actually were even blamed to some degree for the, the plague in the early centuries that broke out in Rome, and yet they were known for their love and their care and devotion for dying and sick people and staying in Rome when everyone else got out into the countryside. Similarly, in the 16th century, when the bubonic plague ravaged Europe, Martin Luther wrote an open letter to Christians in Wittenberg who were wondering, what should we do? What is our responsibility? Should we distance and get out of the city? Should we stay and should we serve? And I think his open letter is just phenomenal. You you probably have read some of it. It it kind of made its rounds on social media. Snopes had to verify if it actually was him that wrote it or not because so many people quoted it. But I'm I'm just going to take a portion of it that I think is just really so good. This this pastoral heart of Martin Luther shining through to, to the people in his city in the midst of the bubonic plague. He said, Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us, Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. So here, in the example of Martin Luther, centuries ago, we see... A mixture of prayer, precaution, and medication in the loving of self and in the loving of others. 
And I think we would do well to follow his example because we're empowered by the same Holy Spirit, the same wisdom that the Spirit gives. And, and so his answer was, it depends. If you're a medical professional, you have a, a duty and obligation to, to stay. If you're not, feel free to excuse yourself to the countryside and distance. Follow God's voice, follow God's spirit as you're making decisions about these things. I think that's just brilliant, brilliant advice. So I'm actually gonna ask Sarah up because um, Sarah actually has an interesting, she and I don't land the same place on that spectrum. And so we, I just wanna invite her up so it wasn't just me telling you about what we should or should not do. um, Moral categories there, I'm trying to stay away from that. What is wisdom in the midst of vaccinations? And even in our family, how we've had a different perspective on vaccinations and how that's kind of played out uh, between us. So Sarah, um, yeah, you have, you have just an interesting like perspective and an interesting story about coronavirus and vaccinations. I just would like to hear from you uh, about your perspective. Yeah, thanks. Uh, are, you, so are you tangled a little I, bit? I do, I get tangled. You okay, know, that's all right. The hair and the cords, <laughs> that's the thing. Um, so yeah, the, so I think with, when the the coronavirus obviously started, I was, I had my usual response to it, which was like a lot of anxiety and it felt very familiar to me. And it was like, you know, the interesting thing about the uh, COVID is that you can get respiratory um, issues. So um, not, not going to make you raise your hand, but ha- many of us, I'm sure, have thought we had COVID, but we're actually having like a micro panic attack yeah. or anxiety. Yeah. And you had respiratory issues actually in November, thought I had like it. Tighten up in here, and it's My like whole, short, I was like of really hot yeah, and everything, yeah. and I thought I had it. And I went to the doctor, and I was walking back and forth to, you know, do the the uh, pulse oximeter to see where my oxygen was, and and I was like, I know I have it. Oh my god! And I'm like going back and forth in this in this room, and then she's like, Okay, your oxygen's 96. You're good, and your test is negative. And I was like, What? <laughs> So, so this is just anxiety I'm feeling. Yes. That's not any better. I Thanks very like, much. I was like, anxiety and allergies, cool. Okay, <laughs> I just canceled all my appointments for the day. So, uh, so it was like, you know, continuing to wrestle with it. The vaccine was not out yet. And then, you know, in the beginning of the year, it started to roll out for medical professionals and clergy. And so some of my friends were like, oh, I'm on the list. I can get it early. And yeah. I was like, oh, you're excited about that? Like, because, like, we don't have, like, a whole bunch of people who have gotten it yet, you know? And yeah. in, my, in my history, like, I grew up in Portland. Grandma had a health food store. Like, very hippie, holistic medicine approach. And really kind of a, a general distrust of the medical model. Um, like, kind of keep your hands off me. I'm going to do my thing. Accidentally had a kid at home because of this, like, you know, <laughs> this approach to life. My, like, my side of the I'm just like, thank you so much. He's always... Anyway, so, so I was just like, I want to do my own thing. I want autonomy, personal autonomy. That's a big value for me. And I really recognized myself, you know, on that spectrum of safety and freedom. And so, and so you, you would say you're, you, you have been more vaccine hesitant? I would, yes, I was vaccine hesitant yeah. because obviously my kids are vaccinated, so I'm not against all vaccines. And I was also aware that, you know, the medical community was sharing information. And it was, like, really powerful to see that and to see that this, you know, 10-year-old science of the mRNA was, like, kind of coming to yeah, a head and, and playing yeah. a, a crucial role. But there was also these other versions, like the J- Johnson Johnson AstraZeneca, yeah. that, were, that were kind of, like, from the older science 
science, and I like things to get proved out over time. And so it was really hard for me. So I was talking to my girlfriends who were kind of like hippie, you know, of the hippie holistic, but also kind of like wanting to care for others and holding that tension like I was. And so they were all like, yeah, we're getting Johnson and Johnson. And it was interesting that all these people who had my belief system were all doing that. I was like, okay, I'm doing that. So a couple, a few weeks after you got yours, we were trying to time it out. And I had been just praying about it because I was like, I had a lot of anxiety, like, oh no, what if something happens to me? Which I have that anxiety every time I go on a trip. I'm always afraid I'm going to die. And I have to like you know, it's really tragic and my kids lose their mother. It's my anxiety. Okay. So I know that. And I'm like, oh yes, of course, here I am afraid I'm going to die. It's the classic fear. Um, and so I was just praying. I really had to pray, pray, pray through it. And it really felt like, uh, God was giving me peace. Like, yep, you can do this. So I had planned, it was like a Friday in the vaccine clinic. Yeah. And on Wednesday, I tested positive for COVID. Uh, I was in a room with one person um, we had both been like extremely careful, but she got it from her son's daycare. And I, w- and I was like, oh my gosh, I just got COVID two days before I had finally like decided to get this vaccine. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> of course, you know, I'm, I'm automatically like, I don't even know. Oh my gosh, what does this mean? Um, and so I, you know, fortunately was, you know, I had a not bad case of it. I lost taste and smell. I just managed it with like ibuprofen and Tylenol, and which is good because I, I did a lot of the cooking that week. You so did. You were managing the out. kids. So, uh, bless you for that. He had to hold it down because I was like in the bedroom, and you know, it, but it really was like not for me. It was not that bad. I was yeah. taking a ton of my hippie immune boosters that I take for everything every time I get sick. And I was like, I don't know. I'm just going to be like, David, use my five smooth stones. Like, I don't know. I'm not going to try anything new. Um, I'm just going to do what I always do. And, and so it, that, I don't know if that worked. I have no idea. I don't know why it wasn't bad for me. I'm grateful that it wasn't. I have known God-loving Christians who have gotten it terribly. God-loving Christians who have died. God-loving Christians who have gotten zero symptoms. Your relationship with God doesn't affect how COVID affects you, right? And I think that's something that we, you know, could say, like, oh, God's going to protect me. And it's like, well, yes, but there's lots of ways that God protects you, right? And part of that is how you care for yourself. Uh, You're not walking around in a bubble. We're all breathing each other's air. And so um, eventually I was like, okay, I still need to stick with my decision. Like, I had peace about it. I can't, like unpeace myself. I still have to have the peace that I felt like I land in that space. And so I had been doing some reading, like how soon do you get the vaccine after you get COVID, you know, because you have immunity and you know, how does that all work? And so I had read it was, you know, 90 days. And so I, you know, got vaccinated. And so I think that was like, that was just a, a kind of a, a wrestling match for me, yeah. but that, that was how it worked. And yeah. it is kind of odd. I know. Um, but if you find yourself in that place, um, you can see that I was like moving back and forth across the spectrum. Like if you looked at, you yeah. know, like looking at the science, it was developed very quickly. We don't have longitudinal research on this. Those are the kinds of things that I get was, you know, that I get scared about, yeah. but you know, this is, that's where I felt like God, you know, dropped me off in that yeah. space. That's good. Well, I have just one more question. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I come from a different direction on it. I right. was, it was, it was really funny because I was, I w- the clergy 
weren't first in line, but they were near the top. But Kansas, I didn't feel like was really clear on when, where clergy could get it. So I'd been waiting. I'd decided like, okay, I'm just going to go forward with this. But I was waiting for like weeks and maybe even months. And then Ben and I actually got coffee. Uh, actually, the, I think the conversation that kind of kicked off this whole tall grass at the well conversation, like it was that conversation where he goes, yeah, I just got my vaccine. And I'm like, wait, we can get that now. And so I went the next day and got it. It was, it was just kind of interesting. So, so I know like, right. I was like, I was sort of like, Hey, I'm, I feel great. Maybe you should go do it. You know? But my question is like, was there ever, did you ever feel any, uh, contentiousness between us? Because I knew you were really hesitant Yeah, and I was really like, let's get it over with. Let's just do it. What was that? What was it like living with me during that time? (laughs) I don't know. Was it, was it okay? No, I feel like you were trying to give me a lot of room because you know how I am about that stuff. Like I, I have been doing this for like the 15 years we've known each other. Like I've just been in this, this, how I think about medicine and you do this holistic prevention stuff first and you engage the medical model later on if needed. And so that was why I was like, oh, this is hard for me because I'm not used to using this on the prevention side. Uh Like a vaccine is a prevention on the front end. It's not a treatment on the back end. And so it, it was like that, you know, that was something. But for you, I think I knew that you were like, you were like, let's have all the babies at the hospital. Let's get all the doctors. Yay. And I'm like, no. So, I just was like, of course, that's how you stand. And of course, this is where I stand. But you were very respectful to me, I felt. And you were letting me work it out. And I think something that that I'm really wrestling with um, and that I would just invite you all to wrestle with uh, with me is just like when we look at cultures around the world and we look at Christianity throughout history, we don't see like, you know, I am such, I'm so much about autonomy, personal autonomy and personal choice. And that is, like, a huge value for me. It's part of, like, my personality. It's like, ah, let me do my own thing. I've always been like that. And so yes. for me, thank you. He's, like, <laughs> nodding. Yes. My parents, if they were here, they'd be like, yes, oh, my gosh, you were so difficult. But, um, you know, that, so that's why I resonate, with, like, with the United States culture of, like, individualism and, like, my rights and, and I need to make my own choice what's right for me. And I think... That's what I've always said. I've always been like, yeah, you need to make the choice that's right for you. And I think what I'm wrestling with right now is the tension of social responsibility and personal accountability. And I think sometimes when we get really like into our personal freedoms, we, we do that at the expense of the other. And so, and I'm not saying we always do that, but like that's something that I'm wrestling with right now is how do you live out your Christian faith in this tension of this is my freedom to do, but my freedom in the Christian faith is to for others. My freedom isn't for me. It's on. It's for. Uh, it's for like looking out for others, protecting others, guarding the faith of others. Not using my freedom to like stomp all over other people. You know, like if Paul's saying like, hey, if your brother or sister has a problem with this food or this drink, like you're respecting that they, you know. Yeah. You, you keep yourself from engaging in that because, out of respect. And so our freedom is not for ourselves, it's for others in the Christian faith. In the American, you know, if you're American and, and your, religious is, your religion is I'm American, then you, your freedom is for yourself. So I'm just, tr- I'm trying to find that tension of yeah. how, how yeah. do I live that out? And, and so I think that for me, it feels like, 
you know, I, did I get, I, I, I still, it's like, it is scary to be, like, part of me is like, I don't know, are we going to find the 30 years from now that we learn something about the strain and ah, like it's, it still like haunts me a little bit in the back of my head. Yeah. But for me, the choice tends to be about like, this is the social responsibility choice that I'm making over here. I'm using my freedom for others. That's how I'm thinking about it. And again, still just trying to wrestle with it because this will not be the only time this kind of thing comes up. Yeah. And I want to like continue to move, you know, towards truth on this issue. Yeah. And, and while at the same time, like, Hearing people's values, like the value for safety is a really important value. The value for freedom is a really important value. And really like hearing the heart of people as you're talking to them, you know, whether they're like really against it or really for it, I felt like I understood your heart and I hope you understood mine. Yeah. And that's probably why we were able to like, you know, live together with that, you know, different of, yeah. difference and, of and views. Yeah, and it really was a tension. We just, yeah. just okay, there it is. Yeah. So, good. Well, appreciate it. Thanks for sharing yeah. your... Yeah. Can, can you all thank her for that? Appreciate it. Um, I'm going to have the worship team come on up, and then we're just we're going to transition into communion. So as they're coming up, I, I do want to give you all uh, just just a, a question. Uh, I'd like to frame it as a next step, something to to put this into action. So something to sit with, and 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 maybe as the Holy Spirit leads you to take action on. The question would be: How might I be preferring myself over those I disagree with about vaccinations? And, and then how do I break that? Is it a, do I need to have a conversation with someone I disagree with? Do I need to have coffee or a phone call and just ask someone, I wanna hear your heart, I wanna, I wanna know why you land where you land without strings, without needing to even go, I, I'm gonna prove that all wrong. Just hearing them out with empathy and, and with humility, okay? And so next week, I do wanna give you a heads up because I, I actually didn't clear this with you, but I'm gonna tell everybody about it. Next week, Pastor Ben I just gonna want to invite you into this to come back. He's going to be talking about immigration and refugees next week. So, again, this is a very hot topic. We actually didn't know some of these were going to be as hot as they are right now when we started planning this series. And so he, I took vaccines. He took immigration and refugees. Please pray for all of us, right? And I will say this as we end and as we transition. You may be super frustrated with, where we, with what we just said. Some of you may feel like, wow, they did not land as hard on vaccines as I would have if I would have said that. Or some of you may be feeling like, oh, okay, so I know three of our pastors are vaccinated. Like, I don't like feeling that pressure. What we want you to hear is that we love you and we respect you no matter where you land on this. And you are welcome to come follow Jesus together with us and manage this tension. Don't let these issues drive you away if you disagree with some of where, what we say and where we land. This, this is a conversation. Ben at tallgrasschurch.com. This is a conversation we can absolutely continue to have and love each other and serve each other. That's, that's not even my email. Oh, it's not? Ben Deaver. There you go. There you go. Sorry. I'm misquoting it. I don't know. He corrected it though, so there you go. Anyway, we, we want to invite you to come and follow Jesus along with us in the midst of this disagreement. We're gonna love each other. That is our commitment to you as a church, okay? So um, we, we're gonna do two things. We're running just a little bit behind. So I, I, I wanna acknowledge that, but the next two things are really important. We're gonna say the Apostles' Creed together and we're gonna take communion together. So why don't you stand with us 
and we'll recite this. Again, we feel like these are grounding practices to tether us to God's truth and to the gospel so that we know we come in a long line of church history doing this together. So if you would say this with me, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. So next, what we're going to do, I'll I'll introduce this and I'll pray for us, but just a few instructions. If we want to make our way forward through the center aisle, and you can kind of filter through on the sides and then go back on the side rows, that just helps the flow. So on Jesus' last night on earth here during his ministry, he pulled his closest followers together and he gave us a new sacrament, a new, a new practice to infuse us with grace called communion or the Lord's Supper, however you're familiar with it. And he, uh, during dinner, during supper, took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he drank it. And he said, uh, right before he drank it, this is the new covenant. This is the covenant of my shed blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So this is something that is meant for those in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ and those in a right relationship with others in the body of Christ, in particular this church community. So what we invite you to do in this moment where I pray, uh, just, just do a heart check and make sure that there's nothing blocking your relationship with God and nothing blocking any relationship with others in the church and the body of Christ. And if you don't consider yourself a Jesus follower, if you maybe didn't grow up in church or you're not even sure where you land on God, but this is something that you, know, you just know, I can't leave this building before I know that I'm right with God and, and I'm going to spend he, uh, eternity with him. This is an opportunity during this prayer to just make that commitment in your own heart. So why don't you bow your heads and, and let's pray together. So Jesus, we, we come before you, uh, not on our merit, but only on your grace, on your empowerment, God. And we give our lives to you once again. We affirm that you're God, and we affirm, God, that, that it is possible to follow you in the midst of community that seems to be um, uh, divided by issues. We commit to you, and we commit to relationships anew today. And so thank you for saving us. Thank you for calling us to yourself. And thank you for, for uh, the ability to spend eternity with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all. This teaching was recorded in partnership between Tallgrass Community Church and The Well. For more resources like this, visit tallgrass.church and thewellmhk.com.